0: We are kind of getting near the end of a series um, on the Exodus. Uh, We've been looking at the way that um, God stepped into the Israelites' lives when they were enslaved in Egypt and brought them into the promised land, and or brought them into the desert and soon to go into the promised land. And we've spent the last six weeks or so looking at what's referred to as the Ten Commandments. And it's a pretty heavy and weighty topic to be walking through, right, with a lot of conviction. Something that we've been doing each week, whether it's Chris or Derek or I, we've been giving you context of these Ten Commandments. They're so easily pulled out of where they're at in the Bible, out of that story, and it's so easy to lose sight of what's going on and why they're there. And so it's really important to remember that God is giving this to a people that he rescued from inescapable bondage. Therefore, these are good things. Right? It's not there. These aren't given just to convict us and show us that we can't do it, but they're even more so there to show us the best ways that God designed us to live. Right? These aren't here to make you feel bad, but rather convince you of a better way or show you a better way that you can operate so you can get benefits from that. You know, And when we do not live up to it, which is impossible to do, it's crucial to understand the context that we live in, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1, right? Every time that you break these, there is no condemnation. It means that God does not change his view on you. He loves you regardless, right? Your sins have been taken care of past, present, and future by Jesus. So hang on to that. Do not allow guilt to sneak in even slightly when you're hearing these. You know, it's also important to realize that we were not these laws, these instructions weren't given just for us, for our lives, but also for those around us, right? We see this in Exodus nineteen four through six. Now, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the people. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. Would you mind pushing that flat so you guys can see it? Thank you. Just if you wouldn't mind pushing that one flat. That's the beauty of being in this position when he's my dad, and I can just (laughs) encourage him. But it can go farther back unless you guys can see it. Thank you. That's great. Thanks, Pat. All right, so you shall, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. All right, and so he was holding off so that way we could be in the place of someone who can actually tend him, who can actually res- rescue him, We can be a part of his, ten- his ten- tenation. Man, Whew, my head's a bit bumpy right now. Just give me a moment to think about it. All right, so we see in this that God's plan is to create people into the kingdom and into the holy nation. Right? Because of this, He wanted them to then show the glory of His, of Him, to those around Him. And we see it also in Matthew five fourteen through sixteen. Do one more, please. You are the light of the world. A hidden built, a hill, a city built on a hill cannot be con- hidden. No, more, no matter have after lit, lighting. A lid a lamp puts in the bi- under the building. Yeah. If you just give me a moment, unfortunately, I had a seizure in my brain. This is number two. I have um, a scarred-up brain due to fighting or due to climbing uh, in the hills, dropped like 35 feet. I uh, don't remember six, not nine, nine, 10 feet or so. Uh, 10, nine or 10 days of dropping. So
1: this has happened before while we're up here. We're just going to take a couple minutes, pray for Evan, let him collect his thoughts. He has many seizures and his brain kind of, you know, it's, it's going crazy right now. So we're just going to ask God to come into this situation like we did last time, bring him peace and collect his thoughts. And we're just going to support him right now. So you guys join me praying for him. Father God, you're good, you're powerful, you're in control of all situations, and we just pray for peace and comfort and healing to come into Evan's mind, his body right now. Lord, would you help him rest his mind? Um, let him feel your presence, Lord. Help us to come around, around him and support him, and at the end of the day, um, if we just have a prayer service, that's fine, God, but we just want to give you this time and ask that you would work, and so we just pause right now and give you control, Lord. Amen? You good? see.
0: Thank you, gentlemen. No, I'll be all right. Uh, it's the craziness of this life you know, my uh have like almost five years ago, I fell like I mentioned like thirty feet down a uh, climb and hit my head really hard, um, really scarred up different portions of my brain and it 's been a heck of a five year um, feat of recovery and i 'm now um, receiving what's called uh, semi or called um, just what are those called what kind of traits? Thank you, many seizures. Um, where just out of nowhere, my brain just kind of goes crazy. Um, and the nice thing is it's happening far less. Um, it used to be once every seven days, eight days, and now it's once every like 24 days. And so I don't know what's going on in my brain, um, but there's just healing taking place. But what it's doing, it's forcing me to just be fully dependent on God. You can see like my own skills and all these things are completely stripped away for these minutes. And it's just like, well all right, God, what do you want to teach these people? What do you want to do through me? How do we want to do this? You know, we all have those stumbles that we hit day after day. Um, The beautiful thing about this for me, it, like, gives me no other choice but to say, all right, God, I'm still alive. You are within me. What do you want to do? So I apologize for kind of the disruption on this. The nice thing is it's right at the beginning, and so hopefully we'll be able to kind of lock into what we're doing. Um, but this idea of the lessons that we learn outside of the Ten Commandments are really important to learn. And right now we're just kind of looking at this idea that God has put us into these positions in order to be priests, in order to serve him and show other people to be a holy kingdom, something that's set apart so that other people can see it. And so instead of being a byproduct of our culture, which is so common for 99% of us, what we are called to be is a creator's masterpieces. And so even if you're experiencing like mental issues like I am, right, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, God calls us out of the crap of this place and sets us in a higher spot so that way people can see who he is. Right, we see this in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And this is crucial to think about you in your life. He has planned for you to do good things, things that are outside of your control. Regardless, even if you're dealing with seizures right, or physical issues or emotional or relational, God has plans for you to do far more. Right? And what we're going to be looking at this morning with the Ten Commandments, I think it's number eight and number like seven and nine something, two different commandments. These are definitely countercultural, fully countercultural. So let's look at Exodus 20:15 through 17. You shall not steal. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now we're grabbing a hold of both of these at once because they are so closely connected. As I've been thinking through, it seems to, that stealing directly flows out of coveting. Even for a pathological thief, there is still a deeper issue that is causing them to compulsively, compulsively steal. So instead of addressing the act of physically taking something from someone else, we are going to hone in on Exodus 20:17. You shall not... Covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You know, the other reason that I want to spend time on seeing what God, the God of the Bible has to say on our desires to want what others have is because this is something that every single one of us do every day. While most of us, if not all of us, do not fight against the temptation to walk into someone else's garage and steal their mountain bikes. In the fall, right, a baby blue pivot, that was 2016, or 2018 black diamond that was kind of gray, stolen off the boulevard, September 3rd. All right, we don't struggle with that, do we? No hands up. All right, even though we don't struggle with that, we are each daily battling discontentment, which is so often comes in the form of longing for either the things of life, or the life of another person. A major reason why we each get caught up in these fantasies of having a better life is because this is so heavily promoted by our culture. Day after day, our longing for more is enticed by normal, everyday parts of our lives. Let me give you an example, if you wouldn't mind putting that up. You look into any of these, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Netflix, or Hulu, there is continual examples of a better life. Man, why wouldn't I want this? Man, I really would like to have that life, or that individual in my life, or that thing, or that job. These are a normal part of most of our lives. Wherever you look, better things and better lives are being proudly displayed. At times, this is being done as advertisement for whatever company you want to, that wants you to buy their things, but this is also being done continually by the average Joe and Sally. Due to our desire to have the approval of others, we are flashing our picture-perfect moments to everyone we know. Because of this continual barrage of self-glorification, the temptation to covet is a very real part of our daily struggle. Let me give you two examples from my life. My wife and I own cabins up by Mount Rushmore, and we've been doing this now, this is our eighth year of doing it, and the idea of TripAdvisor, you guys have heard that before, where you go through and you rank the different sorts of lodging spots, hotels, whatever, was a major point of conviction for me, man. In year one or two, we were only number two out of the cabins. Right? Above us was something called Sega Lodge. They had like 200 and some reservations all at five stars, and we were at like 30 reservations at like five stars. And it was a major point of coveting. The amount of time that I spent looking at what that company got out of, their, uh, out of their customers made this like burning sensation within me. I would look at it over and over wishing that I, that we could be that high. You know, I also uh, ride my mountain bike, road bike a lot. and been doing that for like four or five years. And there's something called Strava. And this kind of traces everybody's ride. And what they've done within Strava is they've timed the segments on all rides. And then however fast you do that, they put you on a ranking. And so you have like the top of the top on there, and then you have wherever you're at. I'll be number like 143 or number 562. But there's all these guys or girls that are like one, two, three, that are doing it like a minute or three minutes faster than me. And man, the way that this can consume my mind, and this isn't what people, most people would consider as coveting. Instead, we think of it as a longing for a nicer car or house, a new kitchen, a new phone, $500 boots, right? Which is true. That is coveting. But according to Exodus 20, 17, it is much more than that. Let's look at it one more time. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female slaves, or ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. In the Hebrew, coveting is defined as inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desires. We're going to be looking at this quite a bit. Inordinate ungoverned, selfish desires. Let me kind of pick this apart. Inordinate is referring to desires that are beyond normal. I like it because it's implying that there is nothing wrong with wanting a nicer car, nicer things, a better life. Coveting is when these desires become strong enough to control our mind and our emotions. That's when the ungoverned comes into play. When a desire for something new is constantly coming to your mind and always pulling you away from the good that you already have, that is coveting. The last word of the definition is crucial, selfish. an inordinate and ungoverned desire to love your spouse or your kids, it would be defined as what? Compassion. In an inordinate, ungoverned desire to start a sober living house for addicts would also be defined as compassion. But when you have an inordinate and ungoverned desire to make your life look like the Joneses, then you are coveting. Coveting is when you long for things that you don't have but others do. It could be their material possessions, but it could also be their spouse or their kids. It could be their job or the success of their business or their physical bodies or the ability to ride really well, whether that's a snowboard, skis, bikes. When your belief that something new or better will make your life more complete distracts you from the good that you already have been given, that is coveting. When you trust that whatever shiny thing has caught your eye will give you what you need in life rather than trusting God, that is coveting. Man, if you are honest, this is something that you most likely deal with every day. We all do. Man, but it's sneaky. It's a type of mindset that slowly grows. It can start off as innocent and potentially even healthy desire. But over time, it gains more and more control over your life, like cancer. And we'll look at this in a little bit. Now the reason that we all have this unique and yet universal struggle is because our belief that better things will bring us a better life is at the core of our broken nature. Let me show you an example of this, if you wouldn't mind putting a picture of those two coveting individuals, right? Those are my kids, it's the most recent picture I happened to find of them, Eden and Gibson. They're awesome, but my goodness, in the last couple of weeks they have been fighting over this cup, right? Anybody else with kids know what I'm talking about? Right? Whoever gets to the cup jar first grabs this and the other one starts whining and then runs into me and we have to like split it up. It's like 100% coveting this cup. Right? And in a couple of weeks, it'll be something else, another toy or another object or another bouncy ball or something. It's at the heart of who these kids are. It's the same for us. From the time that each of us were old enough to think for ourselves, we have operated through selfish lenses mainly wanting what is best for us, and coveting is a tool used by us and Satan to make us believe that we are on the track for a better life. All right, now that we've hopefully defined coveting, let's look at some of the deeper problems that it'll bring, as well as a solution. Now, in order to do this, I want to quickly explore a man named Achan's story, which is found in Joshua chapter 7. Now, before we look at the, the Bible, let me give you a little context. And so at this point, God has led Israelites out of the desert and into the promised land, And so he's given them everything that we're going through with the Ten Commandments. They wander around for 40 years, and now they're moving into the promised land, and they're ready to attack, right? They have an incredible task in front of them of conquering this nation. Their first stop was Jericho. Now, before God brought the walls down, he commanded that everything that they find inside would be devoted back to him. Specifically, he wanted the gold and the silver to be given to the tabernacle. Everything else would be destroyed. This is a direct commandment from God. We see it in Joshua 6, 18. As for you, keep away from the things devoted to destruction, so as not to covet, hear that word, and take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel an object for destruction, bringing trouble upon it. Now shortly after this instruction, the trumpets were blown, the people shouted, and the walls came tumbling down. After this miraculous event where the God of heaven and earth showed his power over this fortified city and placed Israel's enemies in their hands, Achan acted out of his belief that money and beautiful things would give him what he needed in the days to come instead of God. So let's see what it says in Joshua 7.1. But the Israelites broke faith in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zebdi, son of Zariah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the Israelites. Even though we don't know this for sure, I imagine that what Achan saw, that when Achan saw the beautiful mantle and gold and silver, this wasn't the first time that he had thought about having nicer things. Most likely, this had been on his mind for some time. Whether it was from looking at his neighbor's tent, which was woven out of sheepskin instead of out of goat like his, right? Or seeing the way that his neighbor's wife was more beautifully dressed than his own, or the fact that 10 other guys in his neighborhood had two oxens and he only had one, right? A seed had been planted in his mind that nicer things would lead to a better life. Over time the seed grew into an inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire. Remember the definition for coveting. Out of this subtle but pervasive way of thinking, when the opportunity presents itself, Achan pounces. Now because of this choice, the author of Joshua states that the anger of the Lord burned against the Israelites. Now often when people hear the phrase, phrases like this, they see God as vengeful and reactive that God is throwing fireballs from heaven. But if you keep reading, you'll see the way that God's anger plays out. So Joshua said... No, let's go one more. Thank you. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out of the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. Then they returned to Joshua and said, not all the people need to go. About two or 3,000 men should go up and attack Ai. Since they are so few, do not make the whole people toil up there. So about 3,000 of the people went up there, and they fled before the men of Ai. The men of Israel fled before Ai. The men of Ai killed about 36 of them, chasing them from the outside from outside the gate as far as Shibarim and killing them on the slope. The hearts of the people failed and turned to water. This is a punishment that God is putting onto Achan. What I see is that the punishment of Achan's coveting that Israel experiences is that God pulls away from them as their protector. Because Achan placed his faith in things instead of God, God allowed them to experience a natural cause and effect that comes from trusting in anything but him as disappointment and loss. Now, the same is true for us today in 2021. When we put an inordinate and ungoverned selfish desire into something or someone, God honors our choice and allows us to see what happens. Whether it be a thing or a person, when when they grab a hold of your heart, they will continually distract you from the one who is given and can continue to give you everything you need. Like I mentioned before, it starts off innocent and healthy, but slowly turns into a longing that can consume your mind, your time, and even worse, your hope for a better life. Now for me, my desire to have good reviews started out, started out good. It's like what businesses need. It gave Roz and I an incentive to do things well on our property. But quickly, it consumed my mind and my time. I would check TripAdvisor six or seven times a day to see if there were any new reviews. Eventually, my incessant desire to have five-star reviews led me to reach out to my friends and family who had not stayed with us, asking them to write reviews as if they had stayed with us. Right? Whenever there was any sort of three-star review, I used my skills with language to snidely tear them down and build us up in the eyes of the public. I operated this way because I believed that this is what we needed for our business to provide for us. Let me give you some more theoretical examples. One's inordinate and ungoverned selfish desire for nicer things leads them to work too much or even find ways to steal money from their job. One's inordinate and ungoverned selfish desire for calmer and kinder kids leads them to yell at or even neglect their own children. One's inornate, inor- in ungoverned selfish desire in a more beautiful wife or a more caring husband can lead them to look at provocative pictures, flirt with coworkers, reach out to old friends, and eventually have adultery. When we do this, when we choose to walk down this road of temptation, we pull away from going to God as our provider and then experience the natural consequences from doing this. Inevitably, even when we get the thing that we think we need, we will slowly or quickly become disappointed again because these things are simply things. Even a beautiful wife and respectable children will always leave a person disappointed in the end if they are where your hope lies. When you reach the end of your happiness in those things or people, then you will naturally start to look for something else or someone new to satisfy right? Coveting can so easily be an endless destructive, si- endless destructive cycle. You know, one other problem that comes when we spend all of our time looking at what we think will make our lives better, we don't focus on the good that we already have. Think about Aiken. He just got to be part of one of the coolest things in all of human history, the tumbling of these walls. But when he grabbed a hold of all of that shiny booty, his mind got fixed on the way things, on these things, and the way that they could make his life better. By putting his focus on what he believed would make him happier, he most likely started to ignore the fact that God, that the God of all creation had been living in his midst the last 40 years. That daily he was providing for them and guiding them into a better place. Because of the weight of gold in his hand and on his back, he quickly forgot that he just saw the walls of a fortified city crumble at the sound of people shouting. You know, with my biking app, I found myself always thinking about how fast I was riding and whether or not this bump right here would throw me down on the ranking instead of simply enjoying my ride. I would often, I would often not stop at the beautiful vistas that the Black Hills trails can often lead to because I knew it was in the middle of a timed run and there's no way that I'm willing to sacrifice my ranking in order to take in this beautiful moment that God's given me. You know, At the end of every ride, I would sit on my stoop and scroll through how I did instead of enjoying the endorphins and all the things that come at the end of a ride. I would just be moving through and then following other people's rides to see why they got what they got. And when we get so wrapped up in our own agenda for what we think we want in life, it is so easy to lose sight of what we have already been given. Let me give you another analogy for this. And so my wife and I, kids, went to the Canyonlands outside of Moab a while back. And there's a different overviews that you can drive up to. And you're right at the edge of a 1,000-foot cliff. And then it goes out and then drops another 1,000 feet into the river. And there's giant mountains, the Saul Mountains in the background. It's just incredibly beautiful. But what I found we were there at sunset, it was not uncommon for people to be staring at their phone while they're sitting in the midst of such a majestically beautiful place. Right. They just become absorbed by what they think they need instead of seeing the goodness that is right in front of them. Right? It's the same thing when we covet. We miss all of the good that's right there in front of us because of our longing for what we think we need to bring us satisfaction. And when this happens, we are no longer grateful for what we have and for the people in our lives we then began to walk down a road of resentment and bitterness that will just change everything. All right, let's look at the solution. And there's really just one solution to our desire to covet. It's trust in God. We'll explain it, but if nothing else, if you want to fight against those feelings, that inordinate desire to do things that are only good for you, just know that it is all about trusting in the one that made you. You know, in Joshua 7:1, not only gives us a problem but also gives us a solution. But the Israelites broke faith in regards to the devoted things. Right? This idea of faith, this trust in, in order to avoid the discontentment and eventual eventual brokenness that comes from our selfish desires, we must instead put our faith in God, not in things, not in people. Instead of believing that nicer things or nicer people will lead you to the life that you've always wanted, you must instead turn to the one who made you in order to receive what you need to experience contentment. You know, I want to look at two passages, and we're just going to fly through them that kind of show us this. This is Matthew 6. This is Jesus talking. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing, or a house, or a car, or a job, right, or rankings on Strava. Look at the birds of the air. They never sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more value, are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Right? or new cars, or a new home. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear, what will I buy, right? how will I get a nicer life, how will I get more respect? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Here's our answer. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries on its own. Today, today's troubles is enough for today. I'm not going to explain that one. Go back and look at it. Matthew 6. There's one more in 2 Peter. Talking about God. God's divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Did you catch that? That God is giving you everything you need for your life and to be godly, to be holy, to live the way that he wants you to live. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And because of, God, because of who God is, the fact that he is all-powerful and eternal, that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, Exodus 34, he is the only one that can satisfy your longings for more. And it's crucial to know to, that to strive first for his kingdom doesn't mean that you must sell all of your possessions and become monks or nuns up in the mountains somewhere. There are endless biblical examples of God providing lavishly for those who follow him. So he wants to give you the things that you want and that you need. In the next battle after Jericho that Joshua leads the Israelites into, they are told by God to keep all the livestock and the spoil of the city for themselves. You see that? He wants them to have things. Striving first for his kingdom means that we make God our priority and seek his desires instead of our own. That means that instead of acting out of the gut reactions that we so often have, we instead should check with God and ask him, man, should I buy this car? Should I buy this lot? Should I take this job? Should I buy these clothes, these shoes, whatever it is? Right? If God is the creator of everything and he is intimately involved with your days, he will let you know whether or not you should do that. This idea of, like, total dependence on him, on the one that knows all things. Now, in order to do this, I'll give you two different specific um, techniques, if you will. The first one, eliminate stumblings. We see this done in drastic manners in the story of Achan. As we saw earlier, because of this disobedience, God did it would not protect Israel. In order for God to return to his rightful place of authority within the nation, the things that took his place or importance needed to be removed. So we see this in Joshua 12 and 13, 7, 12, and 13. Therefore, the Israelites are unable to stand before their enemies. They turn their backs to their enemies because they have become a thing devoted for destruction themselves. This is what God says. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. See that? Unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. You know, at this point, Achan had a chance to come forward and repent. But instead, he stayed quiet. And so what God did was have the um, tribe after tribe get pinpointed, right? And so they pinpoint Judah. And then family after family within Judah gets eliminated until it's Achan standing alone before Joshua. At no point in this does Achan stand up and say, you know what? It was me. But Then God highlights him. Now, in order for the holiness of Israel to be restored, Achan then needs to pay the punishment for his sin, which he did. He was stoned and all that he had destroyed. His inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire was removed from Israel. Now, in the same way that God protected Israel by removing Achan, he are, we are called to do the same thing. Remove the means through which you are tempted to covet. Now, for me, I only allow myself to look at TripAdvisor now once a month. Instead of looking at it six to seven times a day, I look at it once a month. And a lot of times, I'll even skip a month and look at it like once or twice even in the summertime. I forced myself to no longer depend on other people's view of my business because even if we got nothing but one-star reviews and God wanted us to operate, we would. And this was a major point of freedom for me when I understood that God was in control, not other people's opinions. It brought so much freedom to my emotions and my mindset. Now with biking, with this new year, I decided to no longer use that app Strava. And it was crazy. And the first half of the ride, it was kind of on my mind. But the other 15 rides that I've done since then, it's been like I'm a little kid just riding my bike through the woods. It's awesome. I don't even think about how fast I'm going. It's just like, man, this is pretty. I'm going to stop. Look at this. Take this in. It's amazing. By removing, eliminating the temptation to covet it has brought me so much more peace and fulfillment in what I have. Now, for you, this may be pulling away from Instagram or Facebook. Now, I know some people from our community have done that, and they talk about how beneficial that's been. It may may be not watching certain shows, because I know so many of those reality TV shows kind of spur on that coveting within us. It may be not communicating with a certain person from work. If we desire to be released from the mental and emotional bondage that our longing can bring, it is crucial to eliminate the ways that temptations come into your life. And the last one I want to look at in terms of practical, uh, practically carrying this out is this idea of gratitude, taking time to appreciate what you've already been given. You know, there's a, a marquee, one of those signs on Jackson that says, the root of joy is gratitude you want to experience joy, focus on the good things that God's already given to you. If you're willing to spend just even a small amount of time every day thinking about how good of a life you have, it can be such a powerful tool in your fight against discontentment and longing for more. So let's take a moment. Think about the most basic things you have. Like What did you do to cause this crystal clear blue day covered with pure white snow to occur? What did you do to put breath in your lungs, to cause your heart to be beating the blood that allowed you to move? What did you do to bring the people that you love in your life into your life? Your parents, your kids, your spouse? Like how much of that is from you? Did you make them? Did you like, put them directly in your place that time that you met your wife or your husband? Did you allow yourself to go through the things that knit you guys together? Think about the country in which we live, and I know there's problems right now, but think about the benefits that we get from this country. You know, on Friday night, I got to like, fully see how beautiful of a medical system we've been given in this country. How you can drive directly up to emergency, emergent care when you're in trouble, and how they will just swoop your daughter up and bring her into the back room and help her to breathe when she is struggling to take a single breath, right? One o'clock in the morning, able to hand my precious baby off to them. And thinking about all the things that we have in this country, the freedom and the prosperity that we get to have. What have you done to create that? Right? Think about your own story, the way that who you used to be, and the way that God has stepped in through himself miraculously, through other people, through his word, whatever. The ways that your life has been changed because the God of all creation wanted better things for you. You know, by taking time to recognize how good of a life you already have, it will pour fuel on your faith in God to remember that he is the one that will give you everything else you need in your life which will empower you to slow down and enjoy what you already have. You know, as we finish up, as the musicians come, I just kind of want to leave you with um, a psalm from David. Psalm 20, 34, there it is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Think about that tangibly, looking at your life. Taste and see that the Lord is good happy are those who take refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his holy ones, for those who fear him have no want. That means they're lacking nothing. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing.